Hey there, welcome to Dirt Rich, seasonal conversations about food and farming. I'm Jared Lumen, the Soil Health Lead for the Sustainable Farming Association. Today, we're gonna to have a discussion with Dan Zimmerly, a farmer and also the community organizer and outreach coordinator for the Sustainable Farming Association. Dan, welcome to the Dirt Rich podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, really glad to be here. Yeah, we're, we're happy to have you on. And I, uh, before we get too much into your farm background and story, would you mind just sharing a brief introduction to yourself, maybe a little bit on what you do for the Sustainable Farming Association, and, and then an overview of your farm? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so yeah, again, my name is Dan Zimmerly, uh, and I'm community organizer for Sustainable Farming Association. Uh, and initially, my biggest task at SFA was uh, to uh, essentially set up a new chapter and or networking group um, in sort of my part of the state, which is uh, South Central Southwestern Minnesota. Um, and we achieved that task after about a year. I know it's a lot of work, um, but it was uh, worth it um, and definitely challenging during the pandemic. So we have a new chapter, uh, the Minnesota River chapter of SFA, um, and we're a collection of um, uh, small scale sustainable farmers um, looking to really focus on uplifting uh, local foods in our region. So we're really excited. We hosted the first uh, annual local foods expo uh, virtually uh, in March of this year. Uh, and we're looking forward to our in-person expo, uh, hopefully in winter 2022. Wow. Uh, so that's a little bit about me and SFA, my work there. So you got, yeah, that's, that's just impressive. Like you said, the pandemic part, like it's challenging to get a network and a group of people established in normal times, let alone throw in, you know, social distancing and limited ability to actually get together at all. And you managed to put together an expo and all this stuff. Congratulations. Yeah. Successful yes. year. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, it was, it was, um, like I said, it was work, and I think it's the first uh, SFA chapter that's ever been established without um, every chapter member having met each other in person. Uh, we've all met over Zoom multiple sure. times, uh, but sure. not all of us have met each other in person. Um, and we're hoping to, so what I'm working on for SFA this summer is basically creating some events so we can kind of get that mm. um, connection, uh, meet face-to-face, -face, that kind of thing uh, sure. for our chapter. So, yeah. Sure. Cool. Well, that's that's awesome and, and great work. Uh, and a little bit maybe on your farm too, because you're not only doing this work for SFA, you're farming pretty much full time yourself, right? Yeah, we're pretty much full time, um, especially you know during the kind of busy months, which is sort sure. of May through September for mm -hmm. sure. Um, not to say that April and November and other months aren't busy as well, but mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So full time farming, Cedar Crate Farm uh, is my farm. Uh, we're a produce farm. Uh, we're located southeast of Mankato, Minnesota. Um, and we do a CSA, uh, the Mankato Farmers Market, and we have a few wholesale accounts too. But uh, the bulk of our sales are kind of direct to consumer type sales. Um, sure. We started in 2015. Um, yeah, with an eight member CSA. Uh, and this year we have a, a, about an 80 member CSA. Wow. So. Wow. Yeah, we're kind of kind of getting getting bigger. So yeah, in six years, that's so. This will be your sixth sixth season this year, then. That's correct. Yep. So okay. yeah, we're we're pretty excited. Um, we had a lot of big uh, kind of infrastructure type projects on our mm. farm last season that kind of uh, finally laid the groundwork to kind of take this farm exactly where we want to um, go with it. Essentially, so. Um, we put up a new pack shed facility, uh, which is basically our 
our washing, packaging, prep facility, and storage for all of our vegetables. Um, sure. And that was completed last fall. So this is the sure. first season that we're really going to be using it for the whole season. We're very excited. Nice, nice. Well, I want to get more into that here as we get going and stuff. But maybe before we get into all of the things that you got going on now, because there's a ton yeah. that I want to dig into. Um, if we could start kind of back at the beginning, and and how did you get into farming at all? Was it a history? Did you have a history in agriculture? What led you down the path to where you are today? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, and I do have a history in agriculture. Uh, my dad farms corn and soybeans in Redwood County, Minnesota. Um, okay. And so I grew up on a farm. I'm a farm kid. Um, and what got me into produce farming, which is very different from uh, kind of conventional corn and soy farming, um, was was more just like the food side of things. Um, I really liked um producing a product that I knew somebody was going to take home and eat that day. Uh, corn and soybeans, it's kind of not the same experience. I also kind of like the, the customer interaction side of it. Um, and the, the corn soy guys, uh, it's not the same, you know, you're selling to the local co-op um, yeah. or, or the local mill. And so it's, it's a different uh, kind of thing. So I like that more personal connection with my customers. I like the idea that, uh, People are taking the products that I grew home and eating them and nourishing their families with them. Mm -hmm. um, and I also like the idea that we were growing something that is a better quality product than what you can find uh, in pretty much any grocery store uh, in the state. You know, I, during my college years, in particular, I was always kind of disappointed with the produce um, at the supermarket. It's just not, doesn't taste as good. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's just not as good quality. Uh, and I had I had really missed that because that's something I experienced uh, growing up was eating fresh produce from uh, from my mom's uh, very large garden. Sure. So that's that's how we kind of came to be or kind of what led me to want to start the farm. So, um, so you you grew up on, on a crop farm, a corn and soybean farm. And when you started this farm in 2016, did you kind of jump straight from the growing up on that farm to this farm business of your own, or was there some transition in between where you started to gain this passion for food and consumer relations? Cause that's kind of unique for, you know, a lot of farmers specifically, you know, that's the, the, the appeal of commodity farming is that you don't have to deal with that consumer connection and stuff. So that's, it, it was there a transition to, to where you are, or was it kind of just a jump all in right away? Um, yeah, that's, that's a really good question. I haven't really thought about that directly. I guess I would say, so I, I mean, I didn't go from graduating high school or graduating college straight into farming. I worked um, actually in uh, information technology for a while. Um, and that was, that was customer service oriented. Um, and so I did enjoy uh, working with people uh, and trying to like solve their tech problems. So I did kind of have a um, I don't know. I enjoyed talking to people and trying to figure stuff out for them. Um, sure. So I wouldn't say that I, I just had zero experience talking to people um, mm -hmm. and I knew that I could do it um, and that I enjoyed it. So, um, yeah. Okay. And then, so of all the options of getting into food directly, why produce? Why not livestock? Why not more kind of making something uh, work out of your, your, your family's farm where you maybe did some more fruit or vegetable crops or, you know, something more human edible crops. Is there a reason why you chose the route you did with, with produce? Um, yeah, there, there is, um, in particular, it's just, I had the most experience with, with produce. Um, and 
Another factor is just the sort of capital or upfront costs that go into starting a produce farm versus livestock. Um, And so the starting with produce was was much more attainable uh, than starting like a pasture based livestock business, uh, at least for me and what my uh, sort of experience and skill set was at the time. Um, We have kind of expanded into a teeny tiny bit of livestock. Um, We have a very small flock of laying hens. Nice. Um, and we're actually, we're going to try uh, turkeys this year for the first time ever. Okay. Um, and so we have kind of this, this idea of doing um, essentially a holiday box um, that would be filled with uh, holiday vegetables and then uh, your Thanksgiving turkey for the holiday, for Thanksgiving holiday. So that's the goal. Um, that's what we're trying to do. Um, and we, we do want to do a little bit more uh, with livestock, um, but we also want to kind of manage it in a way that we don't get overwhelmed by what, what we're doing. We don't want to be doing too much essentially and not doing anything very well. So yeah, we've started kind of small and we're just going to kind of see where that goes. And so, yeah, that's, well, that's a really good, just kind of point even to bring up of not wanting to take on too much right away because the people always talk about the advantage of diversification. I believe there's tremendous value in diversification of having multiple enterprises and things, but it's also true. Like you're kind of saying, if I'm understanding you correctly, that you can kind of diversify yourself right out of business. If you stretch yourself too thin and, and find out that you can't really do anything well, and you end up, you know, not doing something real well and you lose customers, you upset somebody else and you're out of, you know, you're kind of in trouble. And so focusing in on what you do. Um, and that kind of, when I, I had the opportunity last summer to visit your, your place and it blows my mind when, you know, I, my family is a pasture-based farm. And so we manage several hundred acres, but it's all forage. It's all, and it's all grazing and we're managing just one group of livestock and it's relatively simple. And when I got to your place, there's like, I don't even know, dozens, tens, dozens, 30 something different crop species. (laughs) And yeah, talk about managing so many things and and like adding livestock, making it, you know, (laughs) being one more thing to add. I'm already amazed at how much you can even manage as of now. (laughs) And I'd love to just hear how you, you know, how you learned that. Maybe that was something you kind of just had naturally, but like, how do you manage all of the different plant species, all the different, I'm assuming they have different kind of planting windows when you can plant them, when you have to harvest them to make sure that you have fresh produce for you know your customers at any given time yeah. how do you do that <laughs> yeah excellent question and and thanks for the kind words there um it's maybe <laughs> it's maybe not as uh intimidating or overwhelming as it seems um but um so yeah it is it is dozens of different crops um and we have um lots of different planting windows uh and i manage that with google calendar essentially as i have uh, planting dates all plugged into google calendar um, and I go through each week and I look at my calendar and I see what I need to plant for the week. Um, and I kind of do all this planning in the winter months. And once right. you kind of have it set up, um, it's just a little bit of minor tweaking here and there. It's not like reinventing the wheel each season. Um, mm-hmm. And so we, we started a lot smaller with less crops and less successions and that kind of thing. Sure. Um, and as our business grew and my experience grew, we added more successions, more planting, uh, new crops and that kind of thing. And huh. it, was, it was more like iterating on something that we had working as opposed to reinventing the wheel uh, every single season. Okay. Um, and just as far as harvesting goes and like planning that all out, uh, again, it's like 
once you kind of have your baseline, it may vary by you know a week in either direction, potentially, maybe mm-hmm. more, but not too much more than that, really. Um, and once you have that down, you kind of know that, well, you know, my, my sweet corn usually gets ready about, you know, mid to late July. Uh, and that's when it's, you know, at the latest, it's going to be like, you know, August and at the earliest, it could be the middle of July. And so that's mm-hmm. a pretty narrow window that you have kind of dialed in there for when that's going to be ready. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of how we manage it, I guess. It's just a combination of Google Calendar. We started out at a size that was something you could wrap your brain around a little okay. easier. Uh, and then expanded from there. So, sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so you kind of talked about how like a week in either way, it can kind of shift. Does, I mean, is there weather things that could make that even outside of that? Like, I don't know about your area, but this spring up until this past few days has been incredibly dry. I mean, when you look at that, does that just throw all your whole calendar out of whack or maybe at, at your place, you're able to irrigate? How do you manage for the different climate and weather changes that, you know, might change year to year? Uh, yeah, that's an excellent question. Um, and we also, until recently, have been very, very dry, the driest spring that I uh, I can remember, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are lucky enough to have some irrigation. And so we kind of strategically placed irrigation on sort of our highest value crops sure. um, and irrigated to get those seeds to germinate. Um, and, and so we did that, but we also, I mean, there's certain things where it did not make sense to irrigate, you know, like sweet corn's a pretty good example. Um, you know, it just takes up so much space and it would take a lot of water and a lot of time uh, and sure. a lot of irrigation equipment to set that all up for our sweet corn. And then, you know, trying to, um, I guess the dollar value return on that sweet corn is pretty, pretty small mm-hmm. uh, in terms of per square foot, uh, as opposed to something like lettuce mix. And so okay. we kind of strategically sure. place irrigation equipment to sort of irrigate the highest value uh, crops huh. in a square foot or value per square foot basis, yeah. if that makes sense. No, it um, totally does. And that's actually really interesting because I would never have thought of thought of that. I mean, it's kind of something that at our place we're kind of doing of like right now with our drought is like, what's our highest value cows and what's our lowest value cattle. And if we're dry and we have less grass, these are the cattle we'll sell first. And I'd never mm-hmm. thought of that sort of from a perspective of a producer, if you have the ability to irrigate and to protect or, you know, help one crop along doing it based on a number and, and there's gotta be a lot of work and intentionality that goes into recognizing what that value is too. I mean, mm-hmm. do you have, how do you, how are you managing your, your, your numbers, I guess, and, and, and understanding those values between different crops? Yeah, that's a good question too. Um, and I would say, so we use a combination of tools, I guess, to kind of manage that or to think about that. And so all of our sales data is recorded online. Um, we use Square for our point of sale system for farmer's market. And then our CSA management software also has uh, uh, reporting functionality where you can get the value per crop out of that. Um, and then it's basically just looking at, you know, essentially how many, I measure everything in row feet instead of acres, because um, mm. that makes more sense on my sure. scale. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and so you kind of just divide out the dollars per row foot and you have your, uh, what your value is. And I mean, a lot of it is pretty too, you know, like, mm-hmm. so sweet corn, for example, let's say you're six inch spacing on a hundred foot rows. So you have, um, 
essentially 200 plants mm-hmm. uh, in one row if everything goes well, right? Yeah. So 200 years of corn, um, and let's just say it's 240 for easy math, right? Sure. Because uh, it's divisible by 12. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so that's 20 dozen years of corn yeah. Uh, yeah. times $6 a dozen, right? Mm-hmm. It's 120 bucks for those two sure. rows. Okay. Uh, in that same amount of space, I can put one bed of lettuce. Uh, and I can easily get like four or $500 out of that bed of lettuce. Mm. So wow. math is pretty clear there what the yeah. higher value is. How do you, how do you value your time? And maybe there's no time difference between managing a sweet corn and a, and a, uh, a lettuce crop, but is, is there a difference in time management in, in, in those? And how do you value your time when doing those numbers? Yeah, that's, uh, also a good point there. And we, uh, we probably need to do a better job of this because I don't have hard numbers on like how many hours we spend on everything. It's more just like uh, what I think we spend, how much time I think we spend on each crop. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are certain things that we don't do because it is kind of just a low return on an uh, investment in terms of like labor and time and that kind of thing. Like dried beans is a good example. Um, Mm -hmm. It's kind of a whole season crop. You spend a lot of time weeding in that crop, and then you got to spend the time shelling and all of that. And so that's something we don't do for that reason. It's just because it's labor intensive, and I don't think that the numbers would pencil out there. Sure. Okay. Um, but it's it's something that I can make a pretty good guess at. You know, it yeah. takes me a certain amount of time to plant, uh, and mm-hmm. you know, a couple of weeding passes takes a certain amount of time, and then our harvest and prep time. I can I can get pretty close on a. a guesstimate of how long all that takes yeah yeah um and so and we we think about that with some of our crops too there's certain things that we don't sell wholesale or really try not to sell wholesale Mm -hmm. um like green beans and peas for example uh very labor intensive in terms of harvesting you spend a lot of time harvesting peas and green beans by hand uh and the prices that we can get at our local food co-op are just they're just not enough to justify that labor Um, and so those are things that we need to sell at the farmer's market or through our CSA uh, to make mm-hmm. them financially sustainable. Okay, sure. So you talked there about wholesale and CSA. I kind of want to get into both and kind of learn how those each each work in your business. But uh, staying on the CSA that we kind of have been and talking on a little bit and stuff with your CSA management and everything. Um, how do you like it, farm? I'm, I'm assuming every now and then people are coming and saying, I'd love for you to have this, or I'd love for this, or, or maybe people are saying, I don't want this. Are you being, are you able to manage almost individual CSAs unique to the individual or is it sort of a generalized yeah, yep. and, and tell me about that? Yeah. So we use um, a management tool called Harvey to manage our, our CSA memberships. And it is a hundred percent customizable. Um, and every single okay. share, almost every single share ends up being different because of that. Wow. Um, and we started with customizability from the get-go, um, but we didn't have a software like Harvey initially. We used um, just Google Sheets and Google Forms to kind of collect that information. Um, sure. And we allowed members to swap uh, a certain number of produce items for the whole season. So like if you didn't like radishes, you could take them out of your box for the whole season and then you could mm-hmm. add extra peas, for example. Okay. And um, are you able to almost give them options of equal value then when you're talking about one value item that's more valuable or more labor intensive to mm-hmm. just swap out a sweet corn for a lettuce, you know, that's obviously has different values to you. And mm-hmm. how do you manage that then? 
uh, the software actually manages that all oh. for us. So <laughs> like you said, if you take out the sweet corn, let's say you have a dozen years of corn in your box and it's $8 a dozen, um, you now have essentially $8 of credit that sure. you can apply towards your box. Oh. Okay. So you could add, you know, whatever you wanted up to that, that $8 value, mm-hmm. or you could go over and then our software would charge you for the, the or- overage. Okay. Um, which is great. So you can add extra things to your share too. And then yeah. you just pay for the extras as you go. Sure. That's, so it, oh, that's, that's pretty slick. <laughs> that sounds like I, I, we direct market me, meat off our farm and my wife manages all of the inventory, online inventory stuff. And I'm so glad she does because it, you know, I'm very simple. <laughs> I can't figure <laughs> that stuff out and I don't want to. So I'm glad there's people like you who are able to. And it sounds like maybe you had a background of some sort of some technology and, and maybe a good fit for managing some of that stuff. Yeah, yep, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty familiar and comfortable with technology, um, and so doing all of this stuff uh, is is kind of second nature for me. So, sure, sure. Um, yeah, so, it's it's a huge advantage, really. Yeah, oh, I I bet. And so, what are some of the unique challenges to the CSA enterprise? You know, maybe for somebody beginning this themselves, thinking the CSA model sounds really great. You know, they'll pay up front, and we have some risk coverage, or maybe if I'm understanding this correctly anyway, you know, but what are the challenges that you maybe don't notice right off the bat? And, you know, maybe going back to when you first started, even you thought, I'm going to go this route. And then what ended up being way more difficult than you expected and what was easier and what was some of the differences between expectations and reality? Yeah, that's um, an interesting point too. Um, I, I would say that CSAs um, can be a lot of work um, in terms of sort of customer management um, and that kind of thing. Um, so you, you're not just selling the box and you're, and you're done, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you know, people go on vacation and so you have to manage that. Um, people have, uh, there's, you know, customer service type issues that crop up every so often or miscommunications that come up or just general human error. Mm-hmm. Like we forgot to put your lettuce in your box this week because we, sure. you know, we didn't read the label correctly or something like that. So hmm. it's managing those kinds of things. Um, I would say that our management CSA management software has helped, uh, really reduce, uh, the amount of sort of mistakes that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I would say is like getting started with the CSA or recruiting your initial uh, group of CSA members is is a marketing feat, really, mm-hmm. when you think mm-hmm. about it. I mean, you're asking yeah. people to spend kind of a lot of money up front. And if you're a brand new farm, you don't have uh, sort of a reputation to fall back on. Sure. Um, and so it can be a risky purchase from the customer's perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know the quality of vegetables i don't know you know those kinds of things um and so that takes uh some good marketing and some good word of mouth to kind of overcome those challenges um and then we're also kind of working continually working on a retention rate essentially so keeping our csa members from year to year uh and trying to do things that really make our csa uh, a community for for our members Okay. So, so yeah, those are the things that kind of go into it from our end or what I think about when I think about our CSA. Um, and, and things are always changing too. Yeah. Um, like with the new CSA management softwares have become really popular, especially with the pandemic. A lot of farmers have finally like taken their first steps into using uh, more software-based solutions for managing customers. And so just 
thinking about that and trying to, you know, maintain a, a competitive advantage. Uh, mm-hmm. You're you're always you're always working. You never quite have it figured out. Yeah. Yeah. And so for maybe a beginner without sharing all your trade secrets, what are some tips and tricks maybe you would give someone a recommend to a beginner uh, to both gain and to retain, retain customers? Um, I would, I would say just start, start small. Um, I wouldn't get, I wouldn't try and start like a, even a 50 member CSA, which depending on your perspective could be a small CSA or not. But if you've never done a CSA before, um, I would start small as kind of, you know, a testing ground, I would say less than like 15 members, just to see how it goes, get your systems in place, uh, and then expand from there. Because if you deliver a bad experience on that first season, you're going to be recruiting another batch of people for the coming season. And that's a lot, that's a lot of work. Yeah. Um, So that's, that's probably the biggest thing. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, so moving sort of to the wholesale market, and I think if I recall correctly, that's a smaller portion of your business then? Yeah, it's like around 10% of our business okay. is wholesale. So I mean, sure. you can't really discount it, but it's certainly small compared to the CSA and farmers market. Is that 10, and, and I might be getting too much in the weeds now, but is that kind of 10% of, of gross like product or 10% of revenue? And how much of that as far as work versus income does it tie up and is it is it still worth it i guess <laughs> you know what are your thoughts yeah on that? um so it's it would be about 10 percent of gross revenue okay um and in terms of labor we've sort of strategically chose which crops we want to do wholesale and which ones we don't um just to make sure that our we're being profitable at the end of the day you know we need to yeah. pay our bills and pay our employees and pay ourselves something so sure um to that end, we've really focused on um, lettuce and greens, um, trying to get as much of that in because we can be very competitive on that. And we, I mean, we have a way better product than the stuff that gets shipped in from California or Arizona. Absolutely. Which is hands down, our stuff yes. is way better. Yeah. Um, and I'd, I'd argue too that it's better than the hydroponic stuff too. That's starting to become more of a thing in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Um, we also do uh, carrots and beets. We can do those pretty efficiently. Um, we have a, a machine that, uh, I mean, it's a very simple attachment for our tractor that helps us dig carrots. So we can dig a lot of carrots in a short amount of time and they're not that hard to wash. They don't take a lot of labor. So, sure. um, and beets are easy. They just pull right out of the ground. You don't, you don't need any special equipment for beets. Sure. So. Okay. Yeah. So those okay. are kind of our big ones. And that's not to say that we don't do other stuff wholesale, but those are definitely our big ones. Sure. And are there any challenges specific to wholesale that, um, I don't know, grind your gears, make you man question if this is worth it, that someone should consider before going down the route of wholesaling? I mean, figuring out pricing is not my favorite thing in the wholesale market. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I want to I want to attract wholesale customers and have mm-hmm. some wholesale accounts because just general diversity of account, of you know customers I think is really good mm-hmm. um, and good for business. Um, but kind of arriving at price points that work for everybody um, can be uh, challenging. Um, mm-hmm. The other thing that that I've run into that's a little bit frustrating is. Um, is basically the organic certification, which don't get me wrong, I'm 100% for organic farming. Um, what I think is starting to get a little muddy is um, sort of the uh, how 
how the organic cert is uh, kind of expanding to include practices that uh, maybe weren't originally uh, what people thought of when they thought of organic. It's like mm-hmm. hydroponics is a good, and I don't mean to attack hydroponics. Um, sure. There's a lot yeah. of efficiencies there that are good too. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, so, so stuff like that. So we use organic practices on our farm, but we are not certified organic. Because okay. of that, I can't always get the organic price, even though I'm putting the organic labor into it. Sure. And, okay. and so, so that's something that's frustrating, I think, uh, that I've, yeah. always, I've been frustrated with that for forever. Uh, and <laughs> I yeah. guess maybe I should just get my organic cert, but yeah, I, it's a hassle. I, also, I mean, we do the same thing with our meat too. We kind of raise it to organic standards, but, and that's a benefit of the direct marketing is that you can explain to your customers and get that value out of the product yes. without the certification that adds, I mean, we do, our land is certified and it's days of paperwork and hassles and stuff and, and expense too. There's a dollar value associated with that. And so if you can create that relationship and, kind of skip over all of that hassle that helps. Yes. Those are all reasons why we haven't, the exact reasons why we haven't pursued the organic Mm. certification. Um, So, so, so yeah, no, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Um, So you had talked at the beginning a little bit about your pack shed and I kind of want to get into this kind of, kind of a little bit different route now of, as you started, one of the advantages you said is the low investment cost. I mean, you can get in without needing a half a million dollar combine and all this different equipment that goes into commodity farming or huge amounts of land and things. So as you started, what did you prioritize as like, these are the necessities, this is what I need. And then, yeah, we'll start with that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Good question. I like that question. Um, This was probably one of the more fun things that I uh, enjoyed from like starting up my farm was trying to sort of strategically choose which equipment and which investments would give me the biggest returns on, on our farm. And so that very first season, um, what did I invest in? I mean, I didn't have very much money at all that first season. So it was like just getting enough money to buy seeds. Uh, mm. And um, I mean, pretty important. Seeds are that's expensive. Pretty, and that's a pretty important investment in this business. Yeah, right. Absolutely. <laughs> and so it was like really simple stuff. It's like seeds. Uh, some kind of walk behind cedar um, and a wheel hoe were like the big investments that very first season. Okay. Um, and then the second season, we put together our first walk in cooler. We made a cool bot in our uh, garage at our old house. Um, and then we bought, we actually made a really big investment, but something that, you know, we needed was a, an actual tractor with a tiller and a, and a, a bucket. Uh, and so sure. we bought that, uh, I think our second, the end of our second season. And then we kind of just like looked at weaknesses in our business or like areas where we were spending a lot of time and labor and spending money to basically reduce the time and labor that was in, uh, those certain areas. So like, sure. eventually it was like, we need a better pack shed facility or we need a better pack shed setup. And so we, we worked on basically reorganizing and buying some equipment for our, it was our garage at the time. That was our pack shed. Um, and, and kind of went from there. So that's, that's how I tackled it. I kind of looked at the biggest bang for our buck or like where I could get really big labor efficiencies, um, mm-hmm. by investing in a piece of equipment. Sure. Because I suppose at your, in, in your business model is labor, the biggest expense, would you say? 
Uh, yes, yeah, labor is the biggest expense. We have spent a lot of money on kind of uh, infrastructure in the past year. So last year is kind of an outlier mm-hmm. in that we spent a lot more money on infrastructure than we did on sure. labor. Yeah, um, that's with the building of the pack shed that you're right. Saying. Yep, yeah. So, but otherwise, in a normally like this year, labor is by far our biggest biggest cost. Sure, um, it's like sure. thirty or forty percent of our total, you know, our total expenses is labor now. Okay, um, and so it's yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely, and that's just it's a good point that people should consider is maximizing what your limiting resources. You know, and if labor is your big, biggest expense for a lot of different enterprises, maybe land is the biggest expense. And how do you maximize the productivity or the value off of the land as opposed to on a smaller acreage base, but a high intense labor, you know, how do we maximize the use of our available labor? Um, And and so how, you know, what were some of those, you know, I guess you've talked about some of them, the tractor and the pack shed and stuff, but is there any other ways or just probably just skillful management and figuring out how to, how to do things more efficiently, like simple tasks that will when you don't know what you're yeah. doing, maybe take longer than, than, uh, than once you figure it out and, and practicing and, and getting efficient at those different things. Yeah. Um, yeah. Excellent question. Um, and there's a couple different ways that we tackle this. Um, one is that we are always experimenting with procedures like in our pack shed in particular, in our sort of wash setup, if there's a faster way that we can wash something, uh, we're going to try and come up with that. Um, so that we reduce our labor there. Um, Mm -hmm. And then we do good training for our employees uh, so that they know our our preferred procedure for doing something because Mm -hmm. it's the fastest. And we always Mm -hmm. give them the latitude where you can do it a different way if you can do it faster (laughs) and, you know, kind of come up with the same quality uh, or end result, you know? Um, But there's there's a reason that we do things a particular way and it's because it's the most efficient way that we found. Mm-hmm. Um, and we always, like I said, we always give our employees the latitude to do it a different way if it's, if it's efficient mm-hmm. um, and quick. Um, so that's, that's one way. And that, that goes kind of across the farm. It's particularly important in the pack shed um, and in the harvesting uh, produce. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, um, we're also looking at kind of where we're spending a lot of labor on our farm and weeding is always one of the big ones. We spend a lot of time weeding June and July. Sure. And so we're, uh, we spent money on equipment to, um, to try and reduce uh, the amount of labor that goes into that. So most recently, we purchased uh, a walk-behind tractor with a cultivating setup. So we have uh, both tine meters and finger weeders, mm. um, which... Uh, we're uh, experimenting with, and I'm learning how to use this season, which I haven't done a blind cultivation before with the tine weeders. So it was a little nerve wracking at first, but I was impressed with how well uh, it's worked so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, and kind of same with the finger weeders as those fingers get in your rows and you're just like, isn't it going to flick all my plants out? And I'm just not have anything left. And that's just not the case. It's not how it works. And I, I'm flabbergasted by it. Kind of right. wish I would have purchased it sooner. So yeah. Yeah, we we do some of the same things for our organic crops we raise on our farm as well. And we got a tine weeder and it was relatively expensive. And when it got here, it's this tiny, kind of a relatively small thing. And we're like, gosh, this is worth that. And once we started using it, we had those same fears, but goodness, did it make a difference? It was yeah, it's, you know, it's an incredible tool. 
they, they're really amazing. And the stuff that they're coming out with is just, it continues to kind of blow my mind. There's a lot of really cool technology, I think, coming out and developing in kind of that cultivation space. I actually, like, I'm starting to kind of wish that I was like organic row crop farmer because all the new cultivation tools seem like, and strategies seem like they're kind of fun. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. There are some neat neat tools that's for sure they all come with their own challenges uh, we dad and i when we first got we got a, a camera guidance system and i just this just popped into my head of a challenge when you brought up it was neat we were all excited and we probably spent four hours trying to figure out why can't we get this thing to run automatic um and we had just a simple button all we had to do was press this button to switch from off to on it was kind of tucked behind the monitor thing and stuff and we were calling, <laughs> trying to figure it out and say uh they're great tools when you know how to what button to press and like i told you earlier my dad and i are not very tech savvy we're more the yeah, that's why we're moving more towards a pasture-based operation but for those who are there's right. a lot of opportunity um i we're kind of running out of time and i'm gonna have to have you come back on again to talk about some more of these things i want to get into your employee management you know that's you know i didn't even talk on that yet really and other than oh yeah yeah mentioned and soil health and how you're managing for soil health but i think we'll have to do that another time i've got two kind of wrap-up questions well one is just as you look forward maybe it's getting into organic crops but or, or whatever it is you know what do you see going forward as your goals do you do you have more the next infrastructure investments, the next whatever, you know, what do, what do you see going forward? Um, our, our goal, right, goals right now are, are really to um, make our farm truly sustainable in like a holistic sense. Um, and that also means from kind of like the family perspective. Um, and so we've spent a lot of time um, on the farm in the past uh, five seasons, um, building uh, and investing what we've made off the farm back into the farm to get to where we are today. Mm. Um, and so mm. we're kind of at a stage where we want to uh, have the farm be financially viable season after season. We want to have a weekend, essentially. Um, we have been pretty good about taking Sundays off in the past, but we really want to have like a two-day kind of a weekend. Um, and so sure. that's a, a goal um, for us. The weekend is probably going to be Sunday, Monday, because we have farmers markets on Saturdays. Sure. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. And and just getting the farm to a place where we are able to walk away or take a, a take a break, go camping or go on a trip somewhere mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. leave the farm in our employees hands for that that duration. Um, sure. And so that's that's our goal. Um, and what we're really working towards. And it's always been the goal in our in, in kind of the back of our minds. We've just always been working on uh, getting the farm to a space where where we could achieve that. And so I think we have the foundation laid to make that happen. Mm -hmm. um, we just have to execute, I guess. Sure, sure. Yeah, and we'll have to pick that up on the next one too to see dig more into that because that's that's I think that if it's not, it should be a goal of probably every farmer. And a lot of people ignore that lifestyle piece of the holistic, you know, management of a business and stuff. And so that's a good point. We'll, we'll have to talk on that in the future. Um, last question then for the guy who is in your shoes back in 2015, 16, whenever you were starting to think about doing this for the first time, um, having gone for the last five years and building what sounds like a very successful business in this, you know, this, in this field, what, uh, what tips would you give them to start that you haven't mentioned so far? Are there any other last words of wisdom you would share with those individuals or just, just anyone in general as well? Yeah. 
Yeah, um, for anybody out there that's kind of in that space right now where I was at you know, five years ago, um, I would say that um, networking um, is super important. Um, and so just finding, finding a group that you can get together with, um, whether it's, it's colleague farmers or, or, or whoever's kind of in your area, SFA is a great tool um, in that regard. Join the SFA chapter if you haven't already. Um, so that you can start bouncing ideas off of those uh, like-minded individuals. Um, you'll find that the farming community is like very willing to help each other. It's, it's kind of mind boggling um, in, in business. You know, you, you're essentially helping your competitors. I mean, it happens all the time in the farming world uh, mm -hmm. and especially in the direct market farming, but we all help each other out. Um, it's, kind of yeah. a, we all do better when we all do better. So that's one sure. piece of advice mm -hmm. uh, is, is networking. Mm -hmm. um, another uh, piece of advice is, um, I think kind of what we were talking about is try not to lose sight of the other things that, that you enjoy in life. Um, farming is an excellent lifestyle, but it can consume you uh, entirely. Um, and so, and you can get burnt out. So Make sure you make some uh, some time, at least some time, for the other things that you like to do outside of farming. I mean, even if it's even if it's Saturday afternoons after the farmers market, if you just take you know eight hours off or six hours off, and you just don't work on farming stuff for the rest of the day, do something like that so you can focus on your other passions. Sure. Um, and then I would also say um, don't uh, discount. Um, kind of the business side of farming. Um, the financial management and marketing is it's extremely important in your success. And so um, it's not the reason that a lot of people get into farming, um, but it is a critical piece of uh, any farming business. And so on that, and I know I said last question, but you, we've already talked about this and you just brought it up again, kind of um, that management software would you say that would be an early investment or is that something that is something you wouldn't recommend right away just kind of a curiosity question since we're kind of this we've already discussed it today oh yeah yeah good question um i it's not necessary i would say it's not necessary your first or maybe even your second season if your csa is small um you could do you could offer a customizable csa for example without a special software it, it's it would be doable okay. um so not necessary. Um, it, it's helpful, but it also adds some costs that you have to consider too. So if sure. you're kind of a scrappy startup, um, maybe that's something that you, you know, put on your down the road list. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Well, those are great words of wisdom. I, you know, I, I'm fascinated. I'm blown away. I still, I know you said it's maybe not as difficult as you, it maybe <laughs> seems to be, but it's still something that <laughs> overwhelmed me even thinking about, but congratulations on the success you found in the last five years. I, I love hearing stories like that, starting from scratch and building what is really a successful business. And, you know, you should be proud of yourself. And I am really grateful for your, your time today. And, and I look forward to talking to you more in the future. So thanks so much, Dan. Awesome. Thank you. And thanks for having me on the show. would love to chat more in the future. Dirt Rich is produced by the Sustainable Farming Association. We believe that agriculture, done well, heals. For more resources or to tap into the Farmer to Farmer Network, visit us at sfa-mn.org.